stand up for our first song. This is a new one. It's called Praise You Anywhere.
Tampa. I know we've got a baptism this morning, so welcome to all of you who are here for that. I have a 10-year-old son, and I was talking to him and a group of his friends about Jesus, and we were in the Bible together, and one was playing with a hula hoop, one was digging in the sand, one was eating a snack and not paying attention to a word I was saying, but there was one who was enraptured, one who was listening very intently. We were reading the story about the rich young ruler, and it was as if he was hanging on every word that Jesus said. It was as if he was feasting on the very word of God, and he couldn't wait for the punchline. He couldn't wait to hear how the story ended. 
And when we finally got to it, when he finally got to hear that Jesus say to the rich young ruler, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, I got to just see it go off in his eyes and I got to see it explode inside of his heart. And it made me think of the passage where Jesus talks about feasting on the very word of God. And so my invitation to you this morning is to be like that little 10-year-old boy, to just be enraptured with the lyrics of the music, to be enraptured with the melody, to hang on every word of scripture that is read, to lean into every prayer that is prayed, to feel the spirit nudge you, and to wait for that as you experience the very presence of God, because it is life transforming, not just for 10-year-olds, not just for two-year-olds, not just for 80-year-olds, for anyone and everyone in between. So I invite you to experience Jesus for either the first time this morning or for the 100th time this morning. If you're brand new to us, we are so excited to welcome you into this family of faith. We have connect cards sprinkled throughout the seats. You can grab one. You can fill it out. There's boxes as you walk out and you can place it in and someone will reach out to you. We're not going to spam you and overwhelm your email inbox. We just want to introduce ourselves and get to know you, maybe invite you to coffee. And this is a great way for you to allow us to do that. And then the last thing I want to invite you to is a very special, beautiful service this Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday. We have a habit of gathering together for 30 minutes on Ash Wednesday to worship, to sing, to hear a message, and to receive ashes as we together as a church family begin our journey with Jesus towards the cross and ultimately towards Resurrection Sunday. This is a family-friendly service. We'll have busy bags for your kids. They can come in here. They can participate with you. It's a really fun, special thing to do as a family, as an individual, as a couple, to really prepare your heart for this season that we're going into as we anticipate Jesus' death and resurrection. So we would love for you to join us. Please join me as we pray. God, I am aware of the way that you beckon each one of us. I am aware of the way that you call us by name and you are waiting for us to respond. God, I thank you for what I got to watch and what I got to experience watching a little 10-year-old boy get it. Feast on your word, feast on the truth of who you are, Jesus. So I pray for each one of us this morning that we might feast on the truth of who you are. In the silence of our hearts, God, we invite you into this space and into our lives. God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more deeply. I want to experience your love and be transformed by it. God, we have people on our hearts and our minds that we want to lay at your feet, bring before you, whether it be for healing, for encouragement. God, I think about my friend Jackie Faircloth. I ask, Lord, that you would just surround her with your presence, that years after her accident, she would know that she is just as loved and known and treasured by you today as she was that day. And God, I pray that you would surround her family, John and Kathy and JT, with your loving presence, Lord, as they continue to walk forward in faith and trust in you. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Amen.
We are so excited to celebrate baptism with one of our families this morning, and I am really excited to invite Chelsea and Tony Suarez to come forward with little Monroe Jackson. And as they do, I want to welcome the grandparents, Al and Suzanne Suarez and Linda and Rami Cohn, all of you aunts, uncles, and cousins, and friends, and godparents, Siraj and Christine, welcome. We're so thankful that bunch, you're here. And there's a bunch over here. The building's kind of leaning this away. Yes. <laughs> oh, am I next? So what we do when we baptize this child, the child is not making a decision for himself. Monroe is being handed over and surrendered to God and to God's people by his mom and dad. But what you and I are invited to do <clears throat> is remember the nature of baptism. And the nature of baptism is this. When we go under the water, everything that's ugly and broken and wrong about our life in the world dies with Jesus. And yet when we come out of the water, we are taken up by the God's presence through the Spirit and we become new, alive people. Resurrection life, the resurrection that McLean just mentioned we celebrate on March 31st. This is resurrection, a Resurrection Sunday event. So you and I, we can choose right now today to re-surrender our lives. We can recommit our lives to Jesus, retake our baptismal vows. That's what's going on here for all of us. That's what matters the most. That's the only thing that can ever matter over time, this foundation of trusting God with everything we have. That's what's happening right here. It is both a symbol, this water is, and it's a very real presence of God. Take time now both to promise that you're going to help this family raise this boy to love Jesus, but also recommit yourself to your relationship with him. Chelsea and Tony, as you bring little Monroe or MJ for baptism this morning, would you say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If so, say we do. We do. And will you promise to teach him about Jesus, to read scripture to him, to pray over him, even teach him how to pray so that his relationship with Jesus will grow as you raise him? If so, say we will with God's help. And I want to ask all of you, because really, you are godparents too. Siraj and Christine, it's not just you guys. It's all of us making promises to this little one. Because you and I get to promise that we will pray for this family, encourage them, nurture his faith. Maybe you're going to be one of the people teaching him in vacation Bible school. Maybe you're going to be praying for this family. All that one day, our prayer is that Monroe will be able to say on his own that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. That's what we all get to help happen for him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, our hearts are so full of gratitude for little Monroe and this family. We ask that as we baptize him in your name, Lord, that you would continue to whisper your love for him into his heart until that day comes when he invites you in and claims you as his own. Amen. Here we go. You ready, little guy? Here we go. Monroe Jackson Suarez, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, oh my goodness, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh-huh. There it is. Look what God has done. 
Friends, our prayer is that the blessing and the mystery of little MJ, little Monroe's baptism, would sink deeply into our lives and our hearts. There they are. These are your people. And all God's people said, amen. Here we go. Thank you. So sweet. So as you know, last Sunday was serve day. And that's why we as a church weren't in here worshiping. We as the church were out there in action doing over 32 projects all over Tampa Bay. That means that 375 of us, children, teenagers, and adults, were sharing the love and warmth and hospitality of Jesus by being his hands and feet. Friends, generosity creates joy, and joy permeates every picture that you're seeing right now in these highlights. These are just a few. Some of you served at Sable Palms, where Jackie Faircloth lives, that we just prayed about only moments ago. We pray for Jackie every single Sunday, but you got to look at her in the eyes and say, we love you. Some of you served those who serve us and never get thanked. We brought pizza to the sheriff's department. We washed the cars for the police department. They couldn't believe it. Some of you created courage coins for children at Mary Lee's house who've been abused. Coins that said things like hope and dream and brave. So children could use these coins to express what's going on in their soul and what they hope to have happen in their life. You can bring that to a close. But some of you we're right over here, just a few feet away where you see that doorway, wrapping 20 huge boxes of bicycles for children in the Dream Fund, for the Children's Dream Fund in Tampa. These are children with life-threatening illnesses. And what you see pictured here are the, is the group led by Lisette Penrod, made up of children and parents who understood that the children they were serving and giving these bikes to would be driving up one by one by one, children who can never be in highly populated areas, who just want to be kids laughing and playing with other kids and not be pointed at by them. So they came, one family right after another, a mom in an Uber, because she didn't have transportation, bringing her, her whole family. Another mom with twins with a life-threatening illness. But as they came, these children and parents not only gave them a bicycle while they wait for their big dream wish, 
but they also gave them high fives and cheers and made posters like this one. It's the next. And this one is to Isaac, where they say, you've got this. And then right at the end, when I took a, the group picture that you saw, which we're going to bring right back up, there's a boy in a hoodie. You see him in the middle with the big blue poster that says Jace. He brought that poster and the poster next to him that said, thank you for my bike. And so they jumped in, and there's a family on, over to the right that also jumped in. Their gratitude was full and rich. That's why, friends, on Serve Day, your generosity was so personal, because it's a life on a life. It's always one life at a time. So every time that you give back to God, there is someone on the other end, like Jace, like Isaac, and all the other children who are experiencing the love of Jesus because of you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and stand back up. <clears throat> Goliath, but I've got my own 
heard your children then, you hear your children now. You are the same God, you are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God, you are the same God. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God moved in power now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were a healer then. I'm no longer 
Good morning. Here we are in an, our new home, and so we've had this series that we're in the middle of called your, Lots of Folks Are New Here Today. So we've been in a series called Welcome Home, and we've been talking about what it means to have a home. And what we've been saying is a home is really not so much a place as it is a person. And here we're celebrating the fact that we are at home with the person of Jesus Christ. And in this place, we're turning this house into a home because that's how we're relating to each other as people who are encountering each other in Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. A home is a place where you're heard, where you're seen, where you're known, where you're loved. And that's what we've been celebrating in here. <clears throat> and this morning, we have another way of talking about what it means to be home. And we're calling it, we're at, a home is a place where we worship. 
So it's a house of worship, a home is. And that's a part of what we're going to explore today. So welcome home. Let us think together this morning about that, what that idea is of what it means to be a, pe- a people and individuals who worship. And I'm going to get at it this way. I'm going to get at it by announcing to you right now this morning, I hereby declare that I have right now today the best job in the entire world. My job is better than your job. I'm just kidding. I, and, and at no extra charge, here comes the secret sauce. You ready? This is why I have the best job in the whole world. Listen carefully. I have the best job in the whole world because I discovered that God owns my job. God owns my job. God owns my job. God owns everything about it. And so the reason my job is the best job in the world is because in my job, I'm giving back to God everything about my job, all the tasks, all the people, everything. That's what I get to do. I get to give back to God what God has given me to do in my job, my work. That's what I get to do. So just a few details about this secret sauce. The first one that's so vitally important. It was all God's to start with. Huh? Every bit of it was God's and then God has done what's part two. God has put me in charge of some of God's stuff. Can you you imagine that? It, It says in the Bible, page one, that you and I are made in God's image. Well, whatever the richness of what that means, deeply textured, one of the things it certainly means is this. When we're made in God's image, we're made so that we're capable of being God's partner and God's project that the entire universe and everyone in it would flourish. That's the project. And that's the picture you get on page one. And so when I say that I have the best job in the world, it means that God, as me, as an image bearer, are you believing that? you are too, image bearers. And so God lets me be in charge of some of God's stuff. And that's what it means to be created in God's image. So this is what I do with my job. I show up. I don't quit. I give effort. Now God is absolutely, absolutely doing the heavy lifting. I mean, I can do my part, show up, don't quit, give it effort. You do your part. In fact, when you do your part and I do my part and we help each other do our part, that's, that's our part. And we give it effort and we show up and we don't quit. But God is making it all happen. God is doing the big heavy lifting. And so, yeah, I have the best job in the world. And you're saying, that's no fair. That's no fair, Fitz, because you're one of them religious workers. And you, you think that because I'm a pastor, it makes it easier for me to make it God's. Oh, you're so wrong. It's just not the case. It would be just as easy for me as anybody else with any job, whether you get paid for your job or not, to think that it's mine. Please hear what I'm saying. Just because I'm a, quote, religious worker, it doesn't make it any easier. A couple of illustrations. Had a man once painting my house and he was so proud he was he he was a master painter and he loved his work 
And he did it really, really well. And there was a sense in which you could tell, I could tell as I talked with him, he's out painting on a ladder, old school, brushes and rollers, none of these tape and spray jobs. He's out there painting a house, talking about his profound love for doing it and doing it well. He had the best job in the world. I, we never got around to finding out if he had worked that out theologically. I don't know if that's why. I don't know. All I know is that he was really good at his job and he loved his job and he was one her, as far as he was concerned, he had the best stinking job in the world. I had a conversation with someone this week, a, a part of our family of faith here, called me on the phone, we were talking about it. And I just said, hey, my basic premise about it, he said, does God, is, is there a difference between my job and my, my faith? I said, well, no, not the way I see it. God owns your business. This is a small business owner starting up a new business. And this man was ready already to say, yeah, that's, that's it. God owns it. It's God's business. <clears throat> One last illustration, Martin Luther. That name mean anything to you? 16th century German. He was a monk, a Catholic, and he is the person after whom we have what's now called Lutheranism. Lutheranism. And Martin Luther said this, he said, <clears throat> a cobbler, that is a shoemaker, doesn't make Christian shoes by putting a little cross on them. You know how a cobbler makes Christian shoes, said Martin Luther? Make good shoes. You can be a shoemaker or a painter or a small business owner or a stay-at-home dad or a pastor. You have the best job in the world when you begin to realize, when we begin to realize that God owns it, God has made you like God's self in God's image and you can be the person who's in charge of God's stuff. And when we're giving it back to God, oh, that's when things start to get good. There's a thousand, and so I'm, I'm calling that worship. In the broadest sense, what does worship it worship, worship means there's a thousand ways to do it. A 952 million jobs where I play, my house, my dog, my car, my friends, my inner life. We worship God with our inner life. L listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Inner life might not be a term you're accustomed to using, but let me invite you to do this. If you think about your inner life as being God's, oh, it starts to make a huge difference about what you let in. Pay attention to worship God with your inner life. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Should I repeat that? Inner life belongs to God. We worship God by paying attention to what we pay attention to. And you need a sentry, S-E-N-T-R-Y. You need some way of saying, I'm putting this in and I'm not letting that in. And you want what's going in is the love of God and the truth of God. And you want to keep stuff out that's working against God. So even our inner life, our fun, my golf. Oh, I need more God in my golf. <laughs> oh, not playing today. So you know what that means? I won't be losing money. <laughs> All of it belongs to God. When we get it through our thick, numb skulls, the secret sauce, God owns all of it. Then we're worshiping God with everything we do. So 
A home is a house where people worship and it's really a place, it's a relationship with Jesus and everything we do and everything we say is about making our lives centered around the, these fundamental truths that it all belongs to God in the first place. So let's work with a definition of worship. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Definition of worship. And it's this, ascribing worthship. So see what I've just done. I've ascribed worthship to God with respect to my golf game or my car or my marriage or my children or my work where I get a paycheck. Ascribing worship to God is what we're being asked to do. And you can do this. I can do this. We ascribe worship to, worship to God, and that's what it means to worship. It's, it's the way we're created. Let me invite you to think about it this way. You can't not ascribe worship to something. It is what we naturally do. See, we're not being asked when we're asked to worship God. We're not being asked to do something we're not already doing. We're already ascribing worship to something or someone in our life. And so what we're being invited to do by Jesus is to make the thing that we ascribe worth, worthship to, to make it him. Just, that's what he's asking us to do. He takes us just as we are because we're a mess. You are a mess. I am a mess. That's okay. I don't have to be something different before I can ascribe worship to Jesus. I just do it where I am as best I can right now today. It's what I said a minute ago when we were baptizing that kid. You right now today and I right now today get to exercise the choice to surrender once again. The best I know. Uh, here it is. And that's an act of ascribing worship. That's what it means to worship. In a home where Jesus is in charge is a house where people ascribe worship to him. He's the Lord, the King. He's the one who owns us all. You know what the reward is for ascribing worship to Jesus? You know what the award, the reward is for me to realize that my job belongs to God? You know what the reward is for you when you do that? It's Jesus. That's our reward. We get him. It's a relationship. That's what happens to us when we begin to do, we pay attention to what we're doing on the inside, to how we use all of our stuff, to every detail of our lives. And when we start to aim it at him, we get him. Ooh, you can't have anything any better. That's when things real, that's when you can say, I got the best job in the world. God, We're, another way of saying this is when we ascribe worship to Jesus and realize he's what we get, we're tapping into the deepest ache inside ourselves and what it is for you and what it is for me. It's how we were made. We're hardwired this way. Our deepest longing is for God. And we may stick other things in there. We may ascribe worth to other stuff but it never gets us to where we wanted to be. And this is just fantastic because God is just saying, Help, we're just the way you are. Come on, I want you. Here's what God wants from us. God wants an, our attention. God wants our affection. And he simply wants us to hand that over to him. And this is what happens 
when we start hanging around Jesus, staying close to him, we start to change. And you know what God does to us? God loves us into people who love. That's what happens when we ascribe worship to Jesus Christ and stay close to him. When we're right up on his heels, the next thing we realize is that transformation is taking place and he makes us, he loves us into people who love. Can't buy it with money. Best job in the world. I think it's also safe to say that you, if you want to be a more loving person, it's probably the case for most of us most of the time that the way we become more loving is we experience love. And so that's the goal this morning. The goal is to experience ascribing worship to Jesus and ex literally experiencing him loving you back. That's what I want for all of us right now today in this room this morning. Experience God's love. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. <clears throat> We want to talk about, however, two kinds of worship. And they're important that we get this out and sort of kick it around. Worship, worth, worship 1.0 is going to be worship because of, but worship 2.0 is going to be worship in spite of. But let's kick around worship because of first. I'm able to worship God, and many times it's because of. And what I mean by that is stuff that's happened where God is good and my life is better and God is healed and God has been there and God has rescued, God has done whatever God does. And I have suggested to you more than once that you have a gratitude list. And my gratitude list, I suggest to you you should have a gratitude list. I have mine on the notes platform on my phone and it has at least one item for every year I've been on the planet. And I look at it regularly. I don't look at it every day, but I look at it. And every time I look at it, I read down the list and then I add something to it. So mine has more on it than the number of years I've been on the planet. I heard a man talking last week. His gratitude list has 500 things on it. Whew. I'm sure he has some repeats in there. And it's okay, you can cheat. Instead of just putting friends down, you can list every one of them by name and that, you know, then it'll start adding up. But we worship God because of, and that's, that's kind of low-hanging fruit, but you're, you can say, oh God, thank you. Just a word about me personally about that. Something's been happening to me the last four or five, six years. I don't really know how to have words for it. I feel like a kid, like I, literally born again. And there's, I have this enthusiasm and I have this sense of God's presence and there's nothing special about me. I'm just telling you what's been happening to me. Like I said, I show up, I don't quit. God does the big heavy lifting. But one of the things that's been happening to me as a part of that is that when I'm music or a scripture, it happened this morning. We were huddled up in here. Kathy was, we, we have a huddle of the dream team. We just give her a word of encouragement. Kathy leads it. And she read a passage from the book of Revelation, chapter three, verse 20. Jesus saying, I'm standing at the door of your life and I'm knocking. Open the door, let me in. And I felt this thing come over me when she said it. And it was, I, I'm in touch with my feelings. I'm an ENFP, if anybody does Myers-Briggs. So we're, we're in touch with our feelings. We're not scared of them. I'm not scared of my feelings. My feelings may bother you, but I'm not scared of them. <laughs> and so what happens to me regularly, 
almost daily as I almost cried. And it puzzled me for two or three years. I told you this started about four or five years ago. I just felt this thing. It was crying. I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with you, son? But I realized it's gratitude. It doesn't matter. It could be music. It could be a prayer. It could be just by family. It could be anything. And I just feel these things. And so I'm a feeler. It's more than emotion. But it includes for me the richness of emotion, which is a gift from God. So what, what I'm saying is because of. I'm finding myself able. And so I think I'm just being vulnerable with you. That happens to me, and I want to be vulnerable, and I'm doing it on purpose because I'm inviting you to be vulnerable with each other and with God. Maybe you're getting moved also. Don't be afraid of it. Oh, what a rich part of life for me personally. And that's sort of how I get it. Others are way more analytical in their minds and their feelings are somewhere far off relative to mine. I, I don't know how you do it. I'm just telling you how I do it. And God bless you analyticals. <laughs> but get yourself moved. How about that? So we're going to need worship 2.0, which is in spite of, because it's coming. You're, you're there now. You're just coming out of it or you're heading into it. It's not if, it's when. Because it's rough out there. And it's gonna stay rough out there until God puts everything back together again and everything flourishes again. Like on page one, the last page of the Bible is flourish because God puts it all back together again through the King, Jesus. But between now and then, oh, it's gonna get rough. And because of what I do, I know some of your stories. And, and in all fairness, for me personally, man, it hadn't been all that rough. I mean, my life just hasn't had any really kind of inexplicably horrible things happen. But some of us have had it in this room right now. But everybody has tough things. I've had tough things, but not just disastrously miserable things. Watch what happens to a disastrously difficult person of difficult conditions. And the circumstances in the Apostle Paul's life are beyond belief. So we're going to see a quick summary of them, a litany of the kind of stuff that Paul has been through. And then we're going to do some in spite of worship. So here's Paul. He's writing to his friends in Corinth, which is a little city in Greece come to Athens and go a little bit west and south. It's, there's an isthmus there, and that's where Corinth is. And Paul started a church. He started a group of followers of Jesus. And he's writing back to them, and he, he's, he's, this is what's happened to Paul to be the person that God made him to be. His whole life is an in spite of kind of life. Look at this. He's just giving them a resume, a litany of the stuff that's happened to him. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea and have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. The list goes on. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all my churches. He loves his people. Paul is beaten to death. And in spite of it, he presses on. He doesn't quit. He shows up. There's this pesky little thing called free will. 
and you and I have it, and you're being invited to use it in spite of circumstances. So this is what we're going to do next. We're going to read an action adventure story in the life of Paul. One of these included in the story we're going to read is where he's in prison, but also beaten with rods first. And we're going to watch how Paul, in spite of the circumstances, is able to ascribe worship to King Jesus. You with me? That's what we're going to do right now. This is what I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to, it's, a long, it's a long passage, and I'm just going to read it best I can, put as much enthusiasm in, into it as I can. But I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's take the text back down just for a second. I have one more thing I want to say. I'm going to invite you to stand. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a big old deep breath. If you can stand, please stand. Take a big breath. And the goal this morning is to experience the love of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. So I thought it would be nice to stand and just to let your body change its pace for a second. Perhaps you want to close your eyes as you listen to me read. And what I want us to do is just let this action adventure happen. And in here, you're going to see the great apostle Paul worshiping Jesus in spite of the horrendous conditions he's putting up with. So allow me to read this for you. This comes from the book of Acts. It's chapter 16. We're going to read about 10 or 12 verses. Paul is in the city of Philippi. That doesn't really matter. It's a Greek town. It's as different from where Paul grew up as New Delhi would be for you. That's all you need to know. Very different kinds of people and customs. But he's there to tell people about Jesus. And this is what happens to him. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men, are Jew these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in the house. And at that hour, that night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Bada bing. Have a seat. There's a central, powerful line in this story. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, look at this carefully. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, you might, you might in your mind be thinking, praying, yeah, I get, but singing? Singing? See, music, if I'd have said word association, what worship, maybe the first thing you would have said was singing. And of course, when we're here together, we sing. And oh, singing is fantastic. It's a part of what I mentioned earlier. It gets me moved. Singing. Imagine uh, the Star Wars movie without a soundtrack. Singing is a part of it. But look, the Paul and Silas, let me text back up, please. Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns in spite of being flogged and beaten, in spite of he on the street talking to people about the good news of Jesus, in spite of all that and all this cultural conflict where the magistrates beat him and flog him, strip him and throw him into jail. In spite of all that, Paul is somehow able to climb above the pain and difficulty of his circumstances to address himself, to ascribe worship to King Jesus. Did you notice what happened? The jailer said, oh God, I don't know what they have, but I want some of this. The jailer was able to be drawn into this powerful sense of the presence of God that Paul brought by simply focusing himself on who God is and what God wants for him. That's what was going on there. Experiencing Jesus is what I wanted you and that's what I want me to have in the room this morning. That's why we're here. I'll repeat what I said earlier. Hanging around Jesus, staying close to us, things begin to change. And what happens is that God loves us into people who love We experience God's love, and the next thing you know, we're transformed into people who are loving. So I'm going to ask you in just a second to close your eyes, but before I do that, I want to tell you we're going to say something together when I finish, and we're going to say the word amen, and amen means so be it, and it's a good Bible word, and we just simply use it. It's Aramaic or Hebrew or something. Amen is how it would be pronounced in the Greek language. But in English, it means so be it. So amen is not some ritual religious people say. What we're doing is we're thinking about what we're thinking about by saying so be it. So when we finish this brief exercise I'm going to give us, we're going to say aloud together, amen. Let me invite you to do this. I want you to experience Jesus. So I want you to know that you're loved. I want you to experience being loved right now. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to look at Jesus. 
gaze at Jesus looking at you. And all of God's sons and daughters said, Amen, so be it. Go ahead and stand back up. Like Fitz, I'm a feeler too. And when I sing, it's probably the best feeling of the week. So I invite you to sing with us as we do good grace and talk about our God. Good grace, here we go. Creation, everything 
having been loved. Get out there and get amongst them and love them. Amen. Sweet. Let the praise go up and the walls come down. All you
I'll still bless you in the middle of the road when I don't know where to go. I'll still bless you in the middle of my storm, in the middle of my trial. I'll still bless you when I'm in the middle of the road and I don't know which way to go. Oh, but 